Well, hey everyone, it is so great to have you with us today again, and just so great that you've hit play wherever you're watching from and listening from. We know we have a bunch of podcast listeners as well, so we want to say thank you to you guys for just tuning in and joining us for our summer series called Faith for Exiles. And uh, my name is Drew. If we have not met, it would be great at some point to meet. Uh, We'll see how things go here over the next number of weeks, but um, we're just so thankful that you can join us online for these times together. And we've really been on a, a significant journey together in this series called Faith for Exiles. It's a book, obviously, and you know it's a great book that many of us are engaging, but it's also a lot of research around the spiritual climate, even in our own country. And specifically, uh, the data has been around 18 to 29-year-olds and just how people are responding to faith, Jesus, the kingdom in our current moment. And we've kind of been laying the blocks bit by bit here. And now we're kind of in the heart of it, looking at the different principles that affect and contribute to making resilient disciples. Basically, we're looking at a number of principles, five to be exact, uh, that the studies have shown this is what resilient disciples are doing. This is what they're practicing to become fully committed, fully resilient disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. And it's been great. So we started a couple weeks ago in the principles. This is week five of the series, but... Two weeks ago, we looked at principle one, which is simply cultivating intimacy with Jesus and identity in Jesus. And so one of the things that resilient disciples do is their identity is in Jesus, and they ultimately cultivate a relationship with him through practices and disciplines and spending time with Jesus. And that's always been at the center of praxis. That's who we are. Our very first core value is life with God. And so this really resonates with us. The idea of life with God and intimacy with Jesus is the first thing that really helps make resilient disciples. Then last week, we had a really important discussion around cultural discernment, that resilient disciples are people who exercise this idea of cultural discernment, that we're in the world, but not of it. You know, the tendency is for people either to go one of two ways, either to retreat, a lot of Christians retreat and kind of get into an enclave and away from culture, And then, and this is probably more, especially being a younger church, probably more our case, there's the other pendulum where a lot of people are so immersed in the culture that they get, they ultimately get immersed by it. And Jesus and the kingdom become less and less of a thing, the easy drift we've been talking about. And ultimately, resilient disciples don't swing one way or the other with this on this pendulum. We're nuanced. We live in the nuance of being fully formed in our, our identity in Jesus, and also living within a culture but not compromising our identity. And to be honest, I've been thinking over the last couple weeks just how it's easier to go one way or the other. It's easier just to kind of retreat like a lot of Christians do and get away from culture. That's probably easier. Um, as well, it's obviously easy to slip into patterns where you're formed more by the culture than the kingdom of God. But the hard part is resilient disciples lean into the hard things. The hard part is this nuanced life of being in the world but not of it, of loving neighbors and engaging culture but still holding on to our rooted identity. So that's where we've been for these first two principles. And now we're going to look at principle number three, which is all about building meaningful intergenerational relationships. The ultimate idea is that when isolation and mistrust are the norms, and that is obviously true in our own culture, that... that isolation and mistrust are a big part of our culture right now, resilient disciples press in to forge meaningful intergenerational relationships. And I don't know where you're at. I grew up in the church. I was born kind of into this thing. My parents are pastors, and I've had a long history with the church. 
And through this, as I look back, and maybe you look back too, I often look back to my life and I ask questions like, what got me here? Like, what got me to this point in my life where I'm devoted to Jesus and his kingdom? And I would say what we're going to talk about today, especially the idea of meaningful relationships, is probably the very thing, the influence of those relationships are the very thing as to why my life has been shaped the way it is. And I'm sure you probably think about people in your own life if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while and you would be considered a resilient disciple. Obviously, Paul, the writer Paul, all over the New Testament, I mean, the New Testament is littered with all sorts of instruction to be together, to serve and love one another. First Corinthians says this in chapter one, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, Paul says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. What about 1 Thessalonians 5? Paul says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. What about this? Colossians 3, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over and over we see in the New Testament that there's this call to be together, one another. Over and over, Paul and the writers of the New Testament are calling the church to be together, to be this representation. In the Old Testament, and even in the first century, the Jewish community would go to a brick-and-mortar temple where sacrifice was made, and the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies for the people, and on behalf of them as a priest, and this was even seen during the day of Jesus. And yet now, the picture we get of the church is that we're this temple or we're this body. Now, instead of going to a brick and mortar place, God is experienced together. We now become this temple that God breathes and moves through. You know, Diedrich Bonhoeffer reminds us in his seminal work, and everybody should at least read this at least once in their life, called Life Together. He states that we don't merely bear one another's burdens, The true burden is bearing one another. Did you catch what I said? It's an amazing thought. We don't merely bear one another's burdens. The true burden is actually bearing one another. So we overlook offense. We forgive. We show mercy and grace to those around us. We disabuse ourselves of our own pipe dreams and illusions of Christian community in order for the power of that community to take effect in our lives. And I think this is so important, that relationships and the idea of community is central to the way of Jesus. And forming meaningful relationships is at the heart of what it means to be a resilient disciple. There's really two things in this chapter that the authors find very prevalent and that have come to the kind of the top as far as relationships uh, in their studies. As they've pulled 18 to 29 year olds, there's a couple things that have come to the reality of uh, resilient and true disciples. The first is strong relational networks. We're going to throw up another chart or table here. We've kind of been doing this throughout this study. These are provided in the book. There were some questions put out around relational networks, and it's so interesting just to see how the different groups of exiles responded. Obviously, the higher percentage here are the people who responded strongly and agree strongly with this statement. So questions like, I have at least one close friend I trust with my secrets. About 52% of prodigals responded with that, yes to that and strongly to that, while 83% of resilient disciples responded strongly to that. What about this? When growing up, I had close personal friends who were adults. 
I'm beginning to see more and more the importance of having friends who are adults for young children and and youth in the church. 62% of prodigals responded strongly to that, while 81% of resilient disciples reported strongly to that. What about this? My friends helped me to be a better person. 34% of prodigals responded yes, while 67% of resilient disciples said yes. Or what about this? I thought this was really important. I have friends and family who are honest with me about my weaknesses. Because, I mean, obviously part of having people speaking into your life and growing with you and leading and guiding you so big, 33% of prodigals, while 66% of resilient disciples responded strongly to this. And that number could probably be higher when you think about the importance of that in discipleship. The reality is, is that resilient disciples show an impulse to have strong relational networks, to have strong relational networks in their lives. The second thing, as far as some of the research and data that rose to the top when it comes to building resilient disciples, is meaningful relationships. So strong networks and meaningful relationships. Here's another kind of chart or table just to look at some of the things that people were pulled in. Things around questions like this. The church is a place where I feel I belong. Prodigals, obviously, are only 5% here, while resilient disciples respond very strongly to this, 88%. Another question is, there is someone in my life who encourages me to grow spiritually. Prodigals, 23%. Nomads, 31%. Yet resilient disciples have these people in their lives that encourage them to grow, 85%. Here's another good one. When growing up, I had close personal friends who were adults from my church, parish, or faith community. So those who resound with having friends that were adults as they were growing up in the church. Prodigals were only 27%. To only 27% of them, and remember, these are people that grew up in the church, had adults who were friends growing up in the church, while resilient disciples, 77% of them, had these adult friends. This just goes to show that having strong networks and meaningful relationships in the church and in community is an important part of our discipleship and an important part of the way of Jesus. We are ultimately called together, and we are ultimately called to be a community together and to build meaningful and significant relationships. Now, what the authors do in the book is they go from there and they just simply highlight six ways to build meaningful relationships. And what I'd love to do for the remainder of our time today, it's a little more simple today, I'd like to highlight those six things. And then when we do that, I would love to take a minute and just share a couple things on my heart for our community here at Praxis. There's just some things I've been thinking about, about meaningful relationships, and especially intergenerational relationships. Been thinking about that in our own context as a church at Praxis. So a few ways, actually six in total, six ways to build meaningful relationships. The first they suggest, is do the work of relational health and wholeness. The authors go on and say, relationships are meaningful when we are devoted to fellow believers we want to be around and become. This should be the church. There should be people in community that you want to be around and grow with. They go on and say, the resilient disciples we've talked to are surprisingly candid about their frustrations and delusionment with their churches, yet they haven't given in, for the most part, to cynicism. They've learned to talk about and process their feelings. Experience a bad church leader? Join the club. Let's talk it through. Seen something in the church that burst your bubble? That's pretty normal. Let's get to the bottom of the illusions we hold about church and figure out what to do with the not-so-great feelings together. The reality is, is that one of the things resilient disciples do, even through moments of disillusion, is they press through and they do the hard work of relational health and wholeness. 
I think it should be like almost like on a connection card when people come into church, that there will be times of disappointment and disillusionment. I think we should put that before people. You will disappoint your brothers and sisters in community. Again, look in the camera. I will disappoint you. Our leadership at times, this is part of what it means to be in community. Yet one thing resilient disciples do is they work on relational health and wholeness. And this is actually a measure. This is something that has been measured in resilient disciples. It is easy to become disillusioned. It is easy to see things. Trust me, I've seen all sorts of things in my life being around the church for my 37, yes, I'm almost 40, for my 37 years. I've seen all sorts of things that I could have run from or gone the other direction, but I think we all need to press through. And I've realized actually over time, and I think Heather, if she was here with me, she'd say the same thing, that in many ways, the onus is on me. One of the things we've tried to do as a family, we're far from perfect is put the onus on ourselves. We want to be the ones to work towards creating wholeness and healthy relationships, that we actually have the agency and the power to cultivate relational health and wholeness in this community. We want to be the ones, and I know I sit in a pastor seat, but we want to be the ones that lead the way in this. And you can too. So one of the things in building healthy and meaningful relationships is doing the hard work of relational health and wholeness. My encouragement to you, with the people around you, It's work together with us in wholeness. You're disillusioned right now, I get it, I get it. People can let you down, but I just think there's so much to gain from being in community together. Number two, the second way to build meaningful relationships is to seek specific relational outcomes. To have outcomes in mind. The authors say this, faith communities and Christian households then must be resilient villages designed with outcomes in mind. I love that. The third way to build meaningful relationships is this, to pay attention to our emotions. In a second, I'm going to throw up another chart. Who would have thought another chart coming your way? But it is true that resilient disciples are much more likely than habitual churchgoers, nomads, or prodigals to describe emotionally positive experiences in the context of their churches. One thing that has been evident in resilient disciples is just a level of emotional intelligence and a level of emotional health. And that's actually one way we cultivate relationships is we pay attention to our emotions. So let's throw it up. Check this out. Again, there was a number of questions asked to this age group, and it's just very, very interesting around emotions and the emotional climate in churches, how these groups responded. So those who felt loved and valued, prodigals were 23%, but resilient disciples were 83%. To feel like I'm a part of a family, again, prodigals, 18%, resilient disciples, 76%, or being connected with those older than me, 20% for prodigals and 65% for resilient disciples. And I'll just say again, that's too low. I would say resilient disciples and this idea of being connected to people older than us, it needs to be greater than that. All sorts of emotional, intelligent questions here, like I'm enabled to deal with life's challenges. Well, prodigals only had 11% or nomads 16%, but resilient disciples just under 60%. I feel judged by others. So some kind of negative questions. It's interesting, prodigals were 13% while resilient disciples were 9%. The reality is with this type of data is that it shows us just again that emotions are a part of the journey of walking with others. And emotional intelligence is something I think all of us need to grow in to build healthy and dynamic relationships. The fourth way to build healthy relationships 
is to be vulnerable. Stephen Marsh from The Atlantic, he said this, We're living in an isolation that would have been unimaginable to our ancestors, and yet we have never been more accessible. And think about COVID. I mean, this was written before COVID. Think about now, right? Over the past three decades, he says, technology has delivered to us a world in which we need not be out of contact for a fraction of a moment. In 2010, at a cost of $300 million, 800 miles of fiber optic cable was laid between the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and the New York Stock Exchange to shave three milliseconds off trading times. Yet within this world of instant and absolute communication, unbounded by limits of time or space, we suffer from unprecedented alienation. We have never been more detached from one another or lonelier. Isn't it true? One of the things that helps build meaningful relationships is that we're vulnerable with each other. We have instant gratification, instant images in our head and before us all the time. And yet one of the things we're actually called to as the church is to be vulnerable. According to a major study, about 20% of Americans, or 60 million people, are unhappy with their lives because of loneliness. So we're more connected, kind of, than ever, but we're more lonely than ever. The fifth way to build meaningful relationships is to help young people identify faith champions. I think a better way of putting this is to help young people in our community that we're in relationship with find people who are older than themselves who are flourishing in their faith. I think this is something that we all need. We need to look to the generations that have gone before us and look for faith champions. One of the tensions right now is we're a very young church, but my hope is down the road that as we grow into this, that many of our kids and our kids' kids at some point, let's not rush that, would be able to look to our generation and our faith and our resilience as a model for their lives. Paul had Timothy, and we see throughout Scripture this intergenerational church that continued to pour into each other from generation to generation. And I think this is, in our time, can be something that's lost. With the evolution of youth ministry, youth ministry is amazing, but at times what that has done is it's secluded students. What we need is we need each other, and we need to point younger people to people who are flourishing in their faith. And sixth, and the final way that they discuss in which we can build meaningful relationships, is realize the crucial role of mentors. Realize the crucial role of mentors. You know, the table that's going to come up here, it's interesting what came from this, because what builds resilient disciples intergenerational community. Intergenerational community. Listen to some of the questions that were asked. I feel valued by the people in my life who are older than me. Well, prodigals responded, about 24% of them responded positively to that or strongly agreed to that, while 65% of resilient disciples responded positively or strongly to that. Here's another one. I welcome positive criticism from those who are older than me. 29% prodigals, 60% resilient disciples. Or what about this? I often look to those who are older than me for advice when I need to make difficult situations. Only 21% of prodigals look to people older than themselves in difficult times. And really, it's only 56% of resilient disciples that do that, but that's much higher than the prodigals. Again, the response in the data shows us that not only is it important to have networks of relationships of people who follow Jesus, and not only is it important to have meaningful relationships, but it's also important to have mentors. We need mentors in the church, and intergenerational ministry is what we are designed for. 
So if you're catching it, this idea of relationships is big. It's big in the life of people who are resilient over time. And I just know, I just know we are designed for this. And this is why the church is so beautiful and so important in each of our individual stories. Now, with all this said, a couple thoughts as we land the plane, a couple thoughts for us at Praxis. As I've been wrestling through this material, as I see what Paul leads us to in the New Testament, there's a couple things I want us to think through. One, as a church, we are treating this like a village at Praxis. We are treating this idea of relationships and connectedness like a village at Praxis. One of the things that we are setting this up for, because we don't have a kid's pastor per se, that we push over to the side and say, hey, you deal with the kids. And we don't have a youth pastor per se. We have some amazing youth leaders and they're, they are like pastors. They're doing an amazing job, but we haven't sent them out to do the kind of the students thing on their own. One of the things we wanna cultivate and create here at Praxis is a, a togetherness of us doing this type of ministry together. It's cliche, but cliches are cliches for a reason. It takes a village. You know, I've been reflecting on my own ministry in life. Uh, back in the 2000s, I think we can call it that, I was a part of a, and led a flourishing youth ministry here in the city, and it was amazing. But one of the things that I regret as I look back on that time where we had numbers of kids come and give their lives to Jesus, and we really had this amazing program for students. It was, it was phenomenal. One thing that was missing in that was intergenerational relationships. I was a young 20-something leading a youth ministry with like younger 20-somethings as leaders. And it was so much fun and it was a blast and there was a lot of work accomplished. But I think we miss something by missing out on intergenerational relationships. Because if I look at the people that have continued on in resiliency in their faith, typically those are the ones that had interconnectedness with other people, especially people older than them. And so one of the things we want to create here is, again, not siloing and pushing ministries or age groups around. We want to be one big family. I feel as ingrained and involved in kids and youth ministry, and you should too, as those who would be specifically leading those ministries. You need, we need to change our minds and our hearts around these types of relationships. Think of it as one big family, and you play just as big a part if you gather with us on Sundays and join in in those students' lives as they're weekly youth leaders do. You need, to, you need to understand the role you play. And two, this is just simply an invitation to community. We want to create places and spaces wherever we can for people to grow in deep, meaningful, intergenerational relationships. The way that this works out for us midweek is Praxis communities, and Praxis communities are flourishing, I think. Even in a time like COVID, it's cool to see groups meeting and building relationships. And when we get back to it, I know, and things become more normal, dinners around dinner tables and all the things that we do throughout the week. But part of it is we want to encourage you to step in. Step in. Do your part in creating a healthy culture here and stepping into the way of Jesus and practicing it with other people. You know, our, my, and my life verse for a number of years has been 1 Thessalonians 2. This is what Paul says. I think it's very, very important. He says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, and though I'm not a nursing mother, I think it's maybe a pretty good metaphor here. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you, Paul says. And then he, this is what he says. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives together as well. And this was a gospel guy, right? Think about Paul. I mean, the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom of God was all over Paul's lips. 
And yet, said, and yet he said, I didn't just come with words. I came with my life. And this is what Heather and I have tried to do with our lives. We're not just about words, long sermons. We're about our lives together. And so I want you to think, wherever you are today, to think deeply about meaningful relationships. Maybe it's time for you, where you're sitting, to step out and join us. Maybe for some of you, you just realize, and I know, again, we're a young church and there's some different dynamics that we have. You know, some of us in our 30s and our 40s are, in some ways, the elder states people. We need you and your mentorship. We also need some that have kids, older kids and grandkids to join us. There's a generation of people, especially my age, desperate for role models and mentors. And we would just ask you, seriously, it's on my heart, just to ask you to join in with us and build meaningful relationships with those that are younger. My prayer is that God would continue to bring us people that are seasoned in life and uh, have influence and can lead the way and show us what it means to be a resilient follower of Jesus, not just over a couple years or a few years here and there, but over an entire lifetime. And so in a minute, some questions are going to come up for you to wrestle with. You can do this on your own. You can do this in community, however you want to do it. But I would love to pray a, a prayer from 1 Peter, some scripture over you, and I'd love to pray and then those will come up. Let me, let me read this. This is 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. Peter says this, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever, and would you pray it with me? Amen. And my prayer, King Jesus, is that this would be so. Draw us together and help us to be intentional with the people that you've brought into our lives. I pray that this community would be a community marked by meaningful, meaningful, deep, beautiful relationships in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace, friends. Have an amazing week. Uh, We can't wait to see you next week.